Chapter 10. Ishtar Stirs Katie opened her eyes and found herself staring at a ceiling she didn't recognize. Moving her head back and forth slowly, she realized she hurt everywhere, and she couldn't move. Her arms were tied down. She pulled against the constraints and was overcome with stabbing pain. She stopped struggling, dropped her head back onto the pillow, and blacked out again. A while later, she regained consciousness when she felt a warm, moist washcloth softly touch her forehead and run along each side of her face. She heard quiet humming and focused on the source of the music. This simple act of concentration made Katie's head pound. Her eyes glazed over and she drifted, merely listening. The woman continued washing Katie, letting her know she was there for her. Katie tried to speak, but her mouth was so dry. She licked her lips softly and said hello in Diné, the language she learned first, her native Navajo tongue. Yat eh. The woman with the washcloth stopped and leaned into her. Did she understand her? Katie expanded her hello with the more formal Navajo greeting. The woman listened carefully to her and replied in a guttural language similar to Katie's, but not the same. That made Katie's eyes open. This wasn't Navajo, but it wasn't English either. And it wasn't Kurdish, the language she was trying so hard to learn for the past few days. It was a language composed of guttural tribal sounds. She kept her eyes open long enough to focus on the room she was in. Rays of sunlight splashed onto whitewashed walls, covered with brightly colored frescoes and tapestries. She looked around the room until her dark, ebony eyes lit on a pair of bright, solid blue ones. The woman was smiling at her. Oh, hello. Katie said. She changed to English when her mind registered a Caucasian, not a native Dinette, in front of her. I am Katie Reynolds. I am from the Red Running Into Water clan. I am born for the Anglo clan. My maternal grandpa is from the people of the Mud clan. My paternal grandpa is from the Anglo clan. That is how I am a woman. Hmm, the blue-eyed older woman replied. She was smiling patiently happy to see her charge awake and speaking. My mother calls me Shandin. Katie summoned the strength to point her finger at herself. The woman nodded and continued humming. Katie stopped talking. Okay, I'll speak to her in Kurdish, she thought. She started with the introduction taught to her by her Kurdish friends. Again, there was no response from the nurse, just an ongoing hum amid continuing ministrations. Katie gave up and fell asleep again. The next time she woke, it was quiet, dark, and the room was empty. Katie tried to assess her situation. She knew she was injured. It hurt to move her upper body, especially her shoulders. Her left hand and her entire left arm were in a bandage. She felt her way down the bandaged arm. Yes, my left hand is there. Good. I really like that hand. On the top of her left arm, she found a terribly painful spot. Oh, yes, now I remember. I was shot at and hit. Her collarbone was fractured, and the bullet hole blown in the skin was covered with a poultice and bandage. Just placing her fingers on this area was excruciatingly painful, and she groaned loudly. The pain brought her fully awake and increased in intensity. Her groans turned to painful wails. Suddenly, the blue-eyed nurse appeared. She lifted Katie's head and brought a cup to her lips, encouraging her to swallow the liquid it held. Katie returned to sleep soon after, and the woman carefully lowered her head back onto the pillow. When she was nudged awake again, 
she realized it was daytime. The room was filled with light and people and voices. They were prodding her, hurting her, and speaking in that guttural language she could not understand. Gently, Mudat, be careful when you turn her, Rebea admonished. We are careful, Mudat, her husband, protested her bossiness. Here, let me. Rebea once again took charge of the patient. Help us, please, Tifani, she implored her helper. Tifani was married to Nabil, Rebea's son. The four of them were in charge of the temple. Many others worked in the temple, but this was a unique project, and only the holiest priests and the highest aides could administer to Ishtar. They gathered around Katie's body as Mudad and Nabil rolled her onto her left side, but they were careful to only move her lower half. The broken collarbone made it imperative to leave the upper body still, but the wound in the leg needed to be attended to. Finding an acceptable balance between maximum exposure and minimum pain, they removed the bandage and redressed the leg wound. Even though they handled her as carefully as they could, the pain made Katie pass out again. Okay, thank you. You can go away now. Rebea was tired of the presence of men. Their bullish energy was only needed for moving the goddess. Now her patient required a more calming, feminine presence. Ishtar had never dropped in for a visit before this, and Rebea felt it was women who must surround this goddess while she healed. Anything new today, Rebea? Tifani asked as she watched the older woman smooth the bed covers over Katie. No, Rebea shook her head. She moved a short stool over to the bed and sat down to Katie's right, facing her. She held Katie's hand, patiently watching. Tifani walked to Katie's left side, pulled up another stool, and sat down. She dabbed a warm, moist cloth down Katie's arms while the women chattered idly. Suddenly, Katie opened her eyes. A stabbing pain jolted her awake and a moan left her lips. The women stopped talking and looked worriedly at her. Katie was experiencing her first real lucid moment in ten days, and she realized how severely she was wounded and how much it hurt. But thankfully, these kind people were here to help her. Somehow she knew that, and she began to cry, teetering on the edge of panic. Overwhelmed by uncertainty and devastated by her frailty, Katie was soon sobbing uncontrollably. She tried to move, but it only made her pain worse, which made her sob even harder. Help her, Rebea said. Tiffany leaned over Katie and held her. She was surprisingly strong, and Katie felt her powerful, comforting, stabilizing assistance. The two began breathing in unison as Tiffany continued to hold the grieving, wounded stranger. After a few minutes, their breathing slowed to normal, and Katie leaned into her new friend. She patted Tiffany's arm and said, Thank you. Tiffany continued to hold Katie to reassure her. Rebea found Katie's free hand and held it. Katie nodded her head in thanks, smiling at her caregivers, thankful to have people who would help her. She looked at the two women. They were two people who she did not know existed two days ago, but they would henceforth maintain a unique, treasured place in her heart. Rebea and Tiffany were talking. Tiffany nodded her head and left. Katie scanned the room. She was in the center of a thirty-by-thirty-foot room. Two low tables were along the sidewalls, a jumble of jugs, bowls, packages, and boxes piled on them. On the floor next to them, a giant pile of offerings waited to help the convalescing Ishtar become strong. There was another table in the center of the room, three feet from the foot of Katie's bed. It was higher than the other tables and draped in dark blue cloth with a pillow of the same color. Lying on top of the precious pad was an object that Katie couldn't quite make out. 
Rebea noticed her looking at it and picked up the pillow for Katie to see. Oh, no, Katie uttered. The object on the pillow was her IUD, her intrauterine device. It must have been dislodged from the blast of the grenade. That's right, the bombing. They must have found me and brought me here after the explosion, the gunfight. It was all coming back to her now. Where are Alex, Tahar, and Renee? She felt the panic rising again. Where's Renee? The temple, the bang, she said out loud. Rebea looked at her and shrugged her shoulders. She could not understand Katie's question. Katie nodded her head and lay back down on the pillow. At last she was starting to remember things, but right now the pain was too much. Renee would find her soon, and they would figure things out. She took a drink from the mug Rebea held to her lips and drifted into sleep again. End of chapter.